Good evening, everyone. We are here again for yet another podcast for your delight. I say good evening, but as always, we have no idea when you're listening. So whenever you're listening, hello. It's been yet another week in lockdown. Uh, I am here. I am Mike. Hello there, I'm Jim. I think I'm Dave. (laughs) It's a bit difficult to know, isn't it, really, at the minute? Just to speed you up as to where we currently are, um, it is now freezing cold. Um, You are being constantly obliterated by gritters coming the opposite direction. Still haven't forgiven the gritter that took the front end of my car out once. 60 mile an hour gritting speed into oncoming traffic. Did the windscreen, did the bonnet, all kinds of bits and pieces. Really horrible. And, yeah, it's just misty and murky and horrible. But we are out of lockdown. We are. It's also that time of year where you're really, really grateful for heated seats and heated steering wheels and clever apps on your phone where you can press a button and the car starts heating itself up before you get into it. I'm very grateful yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of us, maybe, yeah. Heated seats I can do. <laughs> very good. Like that. I'm just pleased with that little nugget but yes all the other stuff that's way ahead of me uh, to be honest i'm just pleased that i'm i'm not driving a car that still has um like an old carburetor or something because the stuff that i used to drive from the 80s was was miserable at getting hot it was used to only get hot when you got to where you need to get much like our van which is exactly I was just like about that. to say our, our work van is like that if you borrow it at the weekend for a tip run by the time you get back from the tip it's just about warmed up so yeah and it does smell like the inside of a tramp shoe for some unknown reason. It's because all everybody ever does with it is take it, take things to the tip. Yeah, it's got that sort of soggy baseboard in it now. You know what I mean? You know when you get that damp wood and it never dries? It's like that. It just needs mushrooms and things growing out of it next, I reckon. Yeah, it's not far off that, is it? Poor old van. Right, well, it's been a, uh, yeah, it's been a week. There's been a, a bit of car news and bits and pieces, so what should we talk about first? Well, one thing I do want to talk about very quickly, and this is really quick is Sayat, because as you know, I've got the, the SUV of which no one can remember its name. Uh, Again, I, I think to... I, was fo- I was following a Sayat the other day, and I thought it was you, but then I realised you... it, it was the wrong model, and it wasn't a, a Tecarona Diac. What have you got again? A, an Ateca. An Ateca. No, this, this wasn't an Ateca, but it was a, sil- a silver SUV thing, and it looked exactly like yours. The reason why I want to mention it is because I had... Um, cause to contact the customer services the other day and I've had to contact different manufacturers in the past who should remain completely nameless uh, who gave me nothing but a poke in the eye when my car blew up this nameless manufacturer was it when you were driving or not driving your Ford Focus RS was it it was when I was not driving it because when you turned it on it went and loads of clouds of things came out of the exhaust and not in a good way no, no, it was, um, yeah, it wasn't, I assume it wasn't meant to do that. I mean, if it was meant to do that, it did a fantastic job. Um, but I'm guessing it probably didn't, because it, it really only ran on three at that point. Yes, so I had to contact them to, nothing more exciting than I couldn't get a service plan thing to work online. I happened to mention to them, I said, oh, you know, my, my little lad's interested, he loves he loves his mum's car, have you got any promotional bits and pieces? Um, maybe something you could send me, thinking they might send me a key ring, or a lanyard, or a hat, or whatever. And they said, oh, yeah, how old's your lad? And I said, oh, he's 19 months old. I go, OK, I don't think we've got anything suitable for him in age, but we'll have a look and see. Can I have your address? Anyway, two days later, doorbell rang. There's a truck outside. And what they'd unloaded off the back was a ride-on car for him. I just couldn't believe it. There's obviously no charge or anything else. Just very kindly just decided that they were going to send him that as a little 
Christmas gift from Sayat, uh, and inside the, the big old box is a is a, an orange Sayat all wrapped up. I think it's supposed to be a layon actually, but uh, an orange Sayat all wrapped up in a in a ribbon, saying thanks from Sayat. I mean, that's, that, how nice is that? That's amazing, and that's uh, that's quite rare. Yeah, I mean, I, I, suddenly my my heart is warmed, and I'm, I'm just massively impressed by that. I w- just wasn't expecting that. So there you go, um, good guys. Say it. Um, they didn't know anything about this is what we're doing. There's no affiliation there or anything else. It's not that I'm an influencer, uh, and they've just given me something. That they've they've just out of the kindness of the heart, they've just sent that to me, which I think is is really lovely. Or rather, sent it to my boy. Though. But for any uh, any corporations listening who do want to send us stuff, and we will shamelessly plug it, then then feel shamelessly. free. We're not fussy. Just just send us anything, and and we'll yeah. rave about it. Don't you? Worry. I'm good. I will whore myself out. Could I just point out, I am local to the Gordon Murray Design Company and am more than willing to accept any T50s that may be doing the rounds. Just just putting that out there in the same vein. Happy Christmas, Gordon. <laughs> and nice shirt. <laughs> Absolutely, he can pull it off. Not many people can, but Gordon can. Now, I know you guys want to talk about the Grand Prix. I know you, you're absolutely busting to talk about it and possibly the world's unluckiest man uh george russell i found out why i read today that uh, that netflix were in the mercedes garage following george russell around for the weekend so that explains it the last time netflix and mercedes had anything to do with each other uh, the german grand prix happened and that didn't work out well for mercedes so it was uh, it was all netflix's fault unfortunately friend of the podcast of course george russell nice guy it was really exciting news when obviously not for for lewis and and all the best and hope he gets well soon but the you know when you get to that stage in a formula one season or probably most championships i would have thought where everything's been one everything's done and dusted you know you can't do you lose interest do you watch you know is there that much left to play for is uh, is bottas that fussed whether he finishes second or third in the championship and then just as just as we we're thinking it might be a bit processional and uh, the track looks a bit boring and it's just kind of some straights and a little wiggly bit and uh, this is going to be a bit rubbish i couldn't have been more wrong you know russell stepping into the Mercedes and, and Jack Aitken getting a run out in the Williams. Pietro Fittipaldi standing in for Roman Grosjean. It, it added some spiciness to it, but what a track. I, I think they should definitely use that outer loop rather than the uh, the proper track in the middle in the future. But uh, Russell just, you know, absolutely phenomenal job all weekend to, to hop into a car that he didn't fit in. His head was stuck out too far above it. He had to wear boots one size too small because his feet didn't fit in the pedal box. He could hardly move his elbows. To qualify 26 thousandths of a second off Bottas, who can run Lewis fairly close in qualifying or quite often, or on occasion, beat him in qualifying, was a cracking job and he looked so comfy out the front of that race. It It was beautiful to watch and cheering him on. And then, yeah, pit stop issue wrong tires come in do another pit stop but he'd have still won it he he was catching Perez quick enough and and despite an extra pit stop um compared to his teammate and compared to all of those around him he he was getting on with that and he wasn't pulling any punches but no mistakes didn't put a wheel wrong and it just gutted for him to get that puncture I mean he was robbed well and truly robbed but I, I thought the way he conducted himself afterwards and his you know even the team radio message on the cool down lap was was heartwarming and he, he 
I think we all knew he was a star of the future anyway, but I think he's put himself on, on the world map as being a star of the future without a shadow of a doubt. The, uh, the only question is, is he going to be in the Mercedes this weekend or is he going to be in the Mercedes next year? Could it be as early as next year? Do you think Lewis is looking at him with a slightly sideways glance now, starting to think, hang on a minute, this could be the heir apparent? Uh, well, if, on paper, if, if you've got a bit of a budget crisis and you've got somebody wanting £40 million or whatever he wants to drive for Mercedes, or George Russell, who'd probably do it for free, and then if you win the championship, <laughs> we'll pay you some proper money next year. In the old days of pay drivers, you know, if uh, you'd look at a pay driver and say, well, he might, be, he might be two tenths off the ultimate pace, but with all the money he brings in, we can develop a car that's half a second quicker so actually we're going three-tenths a lap quicker than we would do anyway, so it works. That argument kind of gets removed with the budget cap, which I think is a great move for the future of Formula One, mm. moving away from from people being there just because of the money. They'll need, OK, they might need a bit of money, but they'll need the talent as well. Much as it would be nice to have an eight-time world champion in your car, it, you know, four to, do Mercedes really care which driver wins the championship? I it's like pat him on the back thank you very much for everything you've done you'll be a permanent brand ambassador you'll always be linked with with i was going to say mclaren there (laughs) (laughs) no uh, you'll always be linked with mercedes basically he's going to go on and be mercedes boy for the rest of his natural isn't he really if he wants to be but you know it's time to sort of say well you know surely eight's enough isn't it let's uh, (laughs) let someone else have a go with the ball if nothing else but I think Bottas had said before the weekend, no, oh, if if Russell beats me fair and square, that doesn't look too good for me, does it? Mm. And, uh, and no, no, it doesn't at all. Um, because he, I, I think this weekend he beat him, you know, uh, albeit a couple, mm. a couple of thousands behind in qualifying. But for your first weekend in the car at two days' notice, um, it it doesn't get better than that. I mean, that that was Lewis Hamilton, Fernan, you know, when he joined in 07 against Fernando Alonso levels of of being thrown in at the deep end um, mm. and showing that he had the instant pace. It just, I, you, you can't put into words how well he did, but would you keep, I don't know, if you were Toto, would you be looking at getting rid of Bottas for next season, getting Russell in next season? So you've got Russell and Lewis, so Lewis can spend a year teaching Russell or see how they get on against each other, and if Russell beats him in his first year, fine. But it allows that handover period, then Lewis can, as you say, waltz off and become an ambassador. I think, you know, if, if I was Russell, I'd, I'd be pushing to be in that Mercedes next year, without a doubt. You have to forgive me, I'm, I'm so out of touch with it these days. Is Bottas a free agent at the moment, or is he contracted uh, no, to... No, Bottas is under contract for next year, but Lewis isn't. Lewis hasn't signed yet. But of course, mm. contracts don't mean a lot because there'll be a clause in it, there'll be a get out or, OK, we'll pay you but you're not driving or, OK, we're paying you but you're driving and doing Formula E instead or something like that. I don't, you know, I don't know. The, the contract mm. to be well worded enough that if they want Russell in the car, they'll have Russell in the car. Yeah. Or Bottas back to Williams maybe, to do a swap that way. You know, because Mercedes were very thankful uh, to Williams for when they gave them gave him Bottas all those years ago so you know return the favour and give him back does it work like that I'm not sure yeah the musical chairs carries on as ever interesting definitely um but again so, I mean of course we're, we're missing uh, uh probably the, the end of the race of course where uh, Perez managed to storm all the way through from last uh to first and uh, very 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 well deserving I mean it's a 
slightly bittersweet because it was good to, good to see Perez win, but I'm certainly a bigger Russell fan than I'm a Perez fan. But you get the sense Russell's going to have many, many, many more wins in front of him. Uh, that's probably not the case with Perez. But how you can have a, a driver of Perez's quality being out of a job at the end of the season... Um, is is a little bit odd, you know, and and after Albon's performance, surely Red Bull have got to be got to be signing him for next year. The, the, how can they not? You know, he can't. He's he's beating Albon, and his car is not as good. So at the very worst case, he will he will still finish in that position, even in a better car. Yeah, it's, it, it beggars belief actually. Yet certain drivers in and, and Perez has to go go off and maybe do something next year or take a year off and come back for 2022 but uh, but at least you've got to win in and that's that's more than a lot of people have managed I know it would never happen but I would love to see Lewis and Russell swap places just to see how they would compare in in the opposite cars just you know next to each other on the grid and just to see what happens to see there's been so many people that have said you know there's so much of Lewis's success is the car you know, you've got to be a fantastic driver. It's obviously, a, you know, a, a great car. He's well in tune with it, but we can see what what George Russell can do when he jumps straight into the car and, and perform like that. I think it's it's probably, and you know, is it the car? Is it the driver? How much is the car driver? It's it's probably. It, it's not unreasonable to say yes. Of course, it's it's eighty or ninety percent the car. But when I say eighty or ninety percent, we're talking the difference between. First and last here, so not eighty ninety percent of your lap time, eighty ninety percent of the the two tenths, three tenths of the bit difference. Mm. A decent chunk is the driver, but I think there's that that critical bit, which is how well the driver suits the car, because it's not the car, because Bottas is in that car and he is not a multiple world champion. Nico Rosberg was in that car at the same time as Lewis, and he won the championship once, and all the way through since the beginning of Formula One. It's not the car because the winning driver has always had a teammate who didn't win the championship. Mm. But again, we see, you know, Albon, he, he showed his class in the the Alpha, Tori, Terry, Rosso, whatever it was when he was driving it. But in the Red Bull, as kind of happened with Kvyat, really, as happened with Pierre Gasly. But you look at Pierre Gasly in the Alpha Tauri, I think, you know, Pierre Gasly's talent level hasn't changed between this year, last year and the year before. That that raw talent, that ability is has has always been there if anything it okay might have got better with with time in terms of racecraft and experience but it was quite clear the Red Bull didn't suit him whereas the Alpha Tauri suits him to a T does the the Mercedes just suit Lewis more and that allows him to extract more of the pace out of it but also mm-hmm. Lewis's natural ability he can extract more of it you know is that balance between are you comfy driving it are you happy driving it at 10 tenths or do you have a quicker car that you can't drive quite on the limit it's always that fine balance and I think Red Bull you know ultimately they always build a very quick car once they get the hang of it they always just seem to build quite a tricky car to uh, to get on top of uh, or is that an Adrian Newey thing you know think all the way back to 94 the uh, the Williams at the start of the season was probably the quickest car over a single lap but it was very tricky to do more than a lap without crashing or spinning mm. um, it's difficult isn't it I think when you sort of say how how fitted the you know, Lewis's car is to him. You, you you sort of think of it in some ways, almost like a tailored suit, don't you? It is. It, is it that perfect? That perfect fit, perfect measure. You can feel completely comfortable knowing that's the the best you can be in that suit. Same sort of thing with the car, I guess. I don't know. Oh, absolutely. Well, you've got to expect. I would have thought that um, 
despite what they'll tell you to the contrary, Mercedes will be making that car fit the man who's more likely to do more with it, aren't they? And Lewis is their star player. Yeah. So they're obviously going to favour him. They're going to say to Bottas, we're going to include as much as we can that's favourable to you. But ultimately, you know, you've got to take into account the fact that... Um, it's it's Lewis that's that's doing the goods for us at the minute, so it, it's it's really his. Oh, it's, yeah, absolutely. It makes sense to uh, to build that development of of the car itself, the basic philosophy of the car and how it how it drives and how you need to set it up. Um, it, without a shadow of a doubt, you know, the same with Red Bull and and the Vettel era. He got the hang of it and could drive it very very quickly, so it developed more and more and more to his liking. Because yeah, you you listen to the guy who's quicker. If the guy who's quicker says, I think it should be like this, then you listen to him because he is quicker. Simple as that. Yeah, first dibs. We've said it before, you, you can't really... I know lots of people like to sort of hate, maybe that's a strong word, but, you know, criticise, dislike the, the sort of leader of the pack and, and Lewis has obviously been doing that for some time. And there's, there's, I know that the, the comments saying it's, it's just the car are often often tongue-in-cheek, but we, we can't take away from the fact that he has accomplished a hell of a lot behind the wheel of that car the most successful driver arguably of all time but in f1 obviously well, he's yeah st- statistically he is um, yeah yeah so going with that i mean that uh, that rounds up uh bahrain or sakir grand prix so they called it but that was bahrain two uh of course we've had bahrain one in the meantime as well since the yeah. last podcast and I, I must admit i don't really remember much of the race, no. I think, after uh, after the first lap, and uh, as as we gave a, a round of applause and an honorary champion status to the people who resurfaced the uh, the track at the Turkish Grand Prix, uh, I think that that needs to be a standing ovation, and, and Andrew is going to jump in here with a sound clip of some rapturous applause. <laughs> for uh, for uh, all the the safety measures and everything that's gone into Formula One over the last couple of years, mm. the Halo, Nomex, Alpine Stars, and obviously Sparko Wump, whoever make all the the other suits, Bell helmets, and and everything like that. Because to see Grosjean get, I I thought I'd watched a man die yes. uh, on the first lap. It of was that horrific. I th- that's one of the most horrific things I've ever seen in thirty years of watching. Formula One race. I mean, it's not since Berger, I think, have have you seen a, a, a fire so spectacular and and quick mm. as that, where the car's ripped in half and there's fuel everywhere, and to see him walk away from that with not a single broken bone and burnt hands and a burnt foot uh, is is just mind blowing. How far the safety systems have come. Yeah. Uh, and it was, you know, and anyone who said the halo was ugly. It's, well, I'll tell you what, it was a beautiful sight watching Roman jump out of that car. And, and if, you, mm. if you haven't heard it already, have listeners, have a hunt out for the, the interview with uh, Roman and Martin Brufnell, where he talks about the accident and what, what went through his head and, and how he described the, you know, because he was, was fully on fire for, what, 18, 19, 20 seconds. Yeah. Um, so it, it shows the quality of, of the suits and things. But he said what what he went through in his head and what he thought, you know, oh, I, I looked sideways and thought, it was a bit orange, is is the sun setting? No, that's, no, the sun hasn't set yet. Oh, I must be on fire, that's it. 28 seconds he was on fire. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a real shame that his, uh, you know, he, he obviously wasn't um, 
in a fit state for Bahrain too and and has announced in the last couple of days that he won't make Abu Dhabi either mm. but did say he wanted to do a test and uh, and Toto Wolff I thought was uh, was really nice and said oh well if uh, if nobody else wants to run you we'll run you in a test for uh, for a couple of days so he can have his last outing properly in a formula 1 car with without ending in the barrier in a car ripped into on fire as you know i mean i don't really keep up with it these days but it reminded me of a couple of things the burger crash being being one of them but also senna and uh there was also the the jos verstappen 1994 benetton pit stop that went horrifically oh God, wrong yeah. where the, the fuel came out of the the hose i mean if ever you need an argument for never ever going back to in race refueling that mm. should surely be it and i know that was over and over and done with very quickly but he he was fully engulfed and in a lot of a lot of fuel for quite a little while and um yeah even then nomex was pretty good nowadays my god i mean what happened to grosjean i think go back 10 years he's he's dead absolutely dead yeah well, yeah i mean i did to be honest that that accident before the halo it was uh when, when he went through the armco barrier uh it was only the the halo that that separated the armco otherwise the angle that he went in the nose cone would have lifted one bit up so a, a strip of armco would have hit him uh what i think he hit the barrier to 140 miles an hour and and he would have got a metal barrier in the face and, and i know the helmets are good uh, i'm i'm not sure how good but also no matter how good the helmet not is the helmet good, might yeah. have survived no. the impact but hitting you know metal to the helmet at 140 miles an hour I I don't think the brain could survive that but no hats off you know that just how quick that that Ian Roberts and and Alan van der Merwe were on on the case obviously that the medical car follows the grid round another of Sid Watkins ideas just so they're there quickly Mm -hmm. if they need to but how how brave of of them as well and all the the fire marshals at the circuit just ran straight into it and and pulled him out of the fire it was um no, big big standing ovation for, for everybody involved. It was sober, it was straight in there, open-faced helmet, and then fire extinguisher and everything else. But it, for, for me, and I know that, um, that Roman said it in, in his interview, and it, it is definitely, definitely worth a watch. But to my mind, you sort of think, is he going to end up, is this going to be like louder again? You know, it, like you say, the, the advancements in technology in terms of the, the, the protective equipment he's wearing is, is obviously... It saved his life, isn't it? Let's 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 not beat around the bush. But it is it's moving to watch the interview. They said it was his first sort of in-depth interview in English with Martin, and it was an exclusive exclusive interview as, with him, as I understand it. But it it's definitely worth watching. It's quite available on on YouTube and Facebook and everything else. But but definitely have a watch, have a listen. I, I'm I'm in awe that he managed to get out and climb out. He he said that he tried pushing his shoulder up to one side and couldn't, and then the other side and couldn't, and he he thought at one point he was already sat at the barrier, so he was obviously the shock of hitting that barrier. It, it must have been so disorientating to to find himself in that position. He didn't know if he was upside down. I think he initially thought, "Oh, I'm upside down. Okay, I'll, I'll wait for somebody to help me." Oh no, yeah. I'm on fire. Oh no, I better get out. Okay. He, he said at that moment, you know, he thought about so much about Louder, about his children, and then at one point found peace with the idea that, that this was probably going to be it. And then, you know, what was it going to be like when his feet and hands catch fire? You, just, you can't imagine yourself in that position, can you? But to be able to, to ultimately get out and, and walk away and, and survive with, as, as we say, just the, the damage to his hands, and he's, he's still got obviously one of his hands as well wrapped up still, and you can see him holding it up. But as you say, hats off to everyone. 
Well, quite often the bravery is, is, is exhibited afterwards when they get back in the car and go out and do exactly the same thing the next day, or not necessarily the next day, but, you know, in in the very short period of time between then and the next race. I mean, just look at Nicky Lauda. I mean, it was a few days, you know, the man was practically dead. He was almost given the last race back in a car well, and still was. at competitive speed. Yeah, he definitely yeah. was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, these these people... I mean, we've said it so many times, but they are cut from a different cloth to the rest of us. I mean, they, they obviously either have no fear or mm. they are more than willing to play the risks and they are so supremely confident in their own abilities that they know, well, I won't make that mistake again or the odds of it happening again are fairly minimal, so I'll take those odds because what they get out of doing what they do for a day job far outweighs it. Yeah, I think it's that it's only when certain drivers crash. I think, you know, the the need for safety in Formula One in the 60s was, okay. well, yeah, if you crash, it's your fault. And, and, yeah, it's just because you're not good enough. So, yeah, that's kind of what happens. Oh, oh, Jim Clark's crashed. Oh, well, well, hang on. If Jim Clark can crash and die... Mm-hmm. Then, then nobody else has got a hope in hell, and and it was that all. Oh, if it can happen to him, and I, th- I think the same thing happened with uh, with Senna. Obviously, you know, we'd lost Ratzenberger yep. the day before, but when Senna mm-hmm. crashed, and you think, well, hang on, if Ayrton Senna can get it wrong like that, then then any of us can get it wrong. So, so we do need yep. to get better. Um, but you know, just even that, I I love how Formula One is so relentless when it comes to to safety. You know, the, this horrific accident has happened, and everybody has walked away hardly without mm. a scratch. And you'd, it would be very easy to sit there and say, "Oh well, haven't we done a good job?" Pat ourselves on the back and and go home because it's all fine. But how Formula One will take the information from this and drive safety forward and improve processes and procedures and tests and equipment is it'll, it'll be good to watch because you know even I'd, like I say I've been watching Formula One for for 20 30 years and all the time you think it's the pinnacle of safety you know how can it get better and then you have something like Jules Bianchi and, and I think Jules's mum had, had messaged a few drivers and, and messaged Roman as well and said well I, I lost my boy but because of that we had the halo so so you're here, mm. so that would make him happy. Mm. Well, I mean, I can speak from a, a bit of experience. I know someone who's a, um, a press person for one of the teams, and uh, he was unable to really function properly until he knew that um, all was well with Roman, um, because it's a, it is a family. I mean, they're, obviously they're competing against each other, but they travel as a family, they work as a family, they all know each other, they've all worked for each other's teams at some point, or they've mm. worked it some point in the organization somebody's known somebody who's related it's quite a close-knit family and um yeah it, it became quite real then you know talking to him and hearing his sort of emotions on the day he said it was a very very emotional day for everyone concerned but the the wave of relief when you saw him hop out of the car literally hop out of the car and be bundled away was uh, palpable and that's mm. probably understandable really isn't it yeah Indeed. for sure it was it was an emotional day, definitely. But yeah, how how all the drivers, you know, a a to a driver were were more concerned about Roman than anything else. But then as soon as they knew he was okay, okay, fine, patch up the barrier, we'll get back in the car and we'll go again because right, odds are that sort of accident isn't going to happen again. So statistically mm. speaking, we're okay. But also, well, even if you do have an accident like that, you can walk away from it. So I think, like I say, I can't remember much of the rest of the race. Um, did Lewis win? Probably. I'm not sure. <laughs> who won? No, can't even remember who won. It was, it was, it was a very emotional day that day.
has there been anything else that's been particularly exciting that's happened since we last spoke? Oh, yes. My friend Adam, I won't say his surname, but he won't thank me for that, but he's just taken delivery after a very long and excited wait of his new Yaris GR Gazoo Racing thing. I like these Bright things. Bright red. Yep, yeah, 70 plate, and it's even got a really cool last three digits as well that the... Um, the dealer managed to sort for him and he's basically not been out of the thing he is plying the roads of west london and the motorways that are a lot quieter at the minute and he's just flinging this thing around all the roads and country lanes and everything and he says it's like being in a rally every two seconds he has to pinch himself to remind himself that he's actually really doing this and he's he's got form because he had a uh well he's still got it actually he's got a um a focus rs as well so he's no stranger to sort of fairly pointy four-wheel drive rally weapons but he said this thing's on another league it's just hilarious so i'm dying for this sort of semi lockdown thing to finally go away once we've all had a jab so i go and have a play in it it looks phenomenal and the mm. but it's odd it's a yaris it's a toyota yaris and i thought you know a yaris is if somebody just says oh i want to buy a car what are the you know what about a Yaris? What are they? Yeah, it will be the most reliable, dependable, but probably boring thing in the world. But this this is just a step change, and it's I think it's a wonderful example of when manufacturers or you know they let their engineers and let their designers do what you like. There you are, get mm. on with it. You you know about cars, make the car that you want to make. That's the car that you end up with, and and sod CO two and emissions and this that and the other. It's just there you are, make a car as good as it can be within and you know as long as it's roughly yarry shaped and uses the same i don't know headlights and doors and body shell get on with it and and they come up with that i think it's a wonderful thing and uh, yeah i wouldn't mind to go as well <laughs> when you think back to proper homologation specials when you look at the yaris this is this is what you see i think I mean, it is it's not cheap it's the same price that i paid for my focus i rest when i bought it which was about thirty four thousand pounds which is is a lot of money for a small hatchback when you think about it, but it is a darling of, of every journalist. I think at the moment, everyone seems to absolutely love this car. And I was speaking to an ex-service manager of a Toyota dealership, who's still sort of connected with with the dealership in his current role. And he was saying that the sales manager can't believe the success of this car because since people have started writing about it, they're just the, the the waiting list is growing and growing. And he'd said to me that they'd sold more of these now. Then they had the rest of the cars in the last month. I say sold, taken orders for at least. So 34 this dealership had on order, which I think is is pretty impressive, really. It it really has made, as as you kind of said, Jim, there's not really the most sexy product when you think about Toyota. You think "Mm, Verso, don't you, or something like that. You don't necessarily think hardcore rally weapon. Well, yeah, we used to though, didn't we? There was the there was the Celica, there was the Carlos Science years, or the Supra, obviously. You know, the Fast and the Furious. I mean, Toyota do have form, lest we forget. But then, of course, of late, they have not been the most exciting purveyor of motoring transport, have they? And this thing's given them a real shot in the arm again. It's it's fantastic, and I think that it deserves to do well. When you see the thing in the flesh, I mean, I've seen a couple. I saw one of the very early. Um, press demonstrators one of the press cars from toyota which aren't a million miles from where i live they're they're located around here i saw it on the road and and i really had to do a double take because i just thought the thing's as as wide as it is long it's it's just like a a box 
but it's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious, and I, they deserve to do well with this thing. And I really, really look forward to getting inside one. Definitely agree. Did you see they've they've redesigned the GT86? The facelift is now the GR86 to bring it in line oh, with the GR Yaris and everything else. I think it's quite a good looking thing, to be honest. Mm. Uh, that is, but again, that's that's a good example of make. There you are, make a car, but make it good. Doesn't have to be the fastest or the quickest or the grippiest or the most clever, you know, electronically or have a an e diff or this that or active aero or anything like that. Just make a good car. That's yeah, it. Fun. And and again, it's it's make it, it restores fun, yeah. a bit of faith in uh, in the motor industry. But yeah, I think after the Supra for Toyota, I don't think has been a runaway success, has it? It's only no, has not become the new a, Supra. a cult. No, it hasn't become a, a cult icon in the way the old one did. But then actually. The original Supra wasn't that good a car, but it, it just became a cult car over time. It ended up in a film, didn't it? Uh, yeah, after... Um, Basically, after that's what did it. After loads of people suddenly worked out if you bolted on some huge laggy turbos, you could put a thousand brake horsepower through them quite easily, and uh, and they became very popular. But, the uh, yeah, the, the current one hasn't quite taken off. I mean, it got a lot of stick because it was... Uh, because they teamed up with BMW, but it was you know it was a Toyota exterior, and then it got slagged off for having a BMW interior. It's like, well, m- much as I like Japanese cars, BMW do make a nicer interior mm-hmm, than sure. Toyota do. It's like when Ford, the Ford Mondeo, got slagged off for looking too much like an Aston Martin. It's, no, that that doesn't <laughs> make sense. Yeah, it, it, you know, no. I'm absolutely with you on that one, and. Jap interiors, even even current Japanese interiors, don't don't really push my buttons in the same way that a, a German car does. In the way that it's built, the fit and finish inside, to my mind, yes, they're well built. Yes, they will probably go on forever. And if endless reliability is your thing, then actually a Honda, Toyota, whatever are are generally very very good. But there's there's something about the interior. There's the plastics. I don't know. Is it is it just a bit too plasticky inside? Is it? I'm not sure, and there are a few cars that that have impressed and surprised me. And the the, um, the GTR is one of those, and I, the interior I thought was it's actually quite brilliant in in, in a GTR. And again, that's a, a revolutionary car that that is perhaps more PlayStation than it is anything else in terms of the way that it performs. It's it's unreal, really, the way that it steers. And I suppose much like the um, the RS Focus, when you put the power in and that catapults you into a into a corner, the more power you put in, the better it seems to be. I always found in mind that if I was braking going into a corner, it was harder to control the car than if you were accelerating because the computers just sorted it out for you, pushed the, cor- the, the power to the right wheel and catapulted you out the other side of the corner. And it, it was really effective. Yeah, it was, it was peculiar, wasn't it? It was it like was. driving a, uh, at the time, the Fiesta ST, and then we mm. got a Fiesta ST with a Quafe Limited Slip Diff in it. And mm. and it was odd to get your head around putting the power on as you were turning into, or even before you turned into the corner, to get yeah. the best exit and just letting the Limited Slip Diff do its thing and, and drag the front of the car through the corner. And, yeah, with the RS, I, always, I, I can never get my head around, how the, why, why didn't the car just get shorter all the time? Because the rear wheels <laughs> were always going quicker than the front wheels, weren't they? And you think, yes. well, how, how is this not a three, you know, why do you not set off to work with it being a five-door and it's a three-door by the time you get there? But it it just worked, didn't it? It made the car feel alive. It, it gave it that lovely turn in. Yes, but definitely. It, the first time you turned in on it, you're a bit, oh, oh, is it going to snap on me? But actually, mm. no, you just turned in and leant on it. And that, that keenness of turning just carried on all the way through the corner, but it never felt skittish with it. 
it, it was a confidence thing. It was really hard to unsettle it. But you'd go, as you say, you'd go into a corner, and, and the harder you accelerate, the more, say if you're going into a, a tight right-hander, it would accelerate the back left-hand wheel and just catapult you through. And, yeah, you were better off, more often than not, accelerating and braking. It's a very weird experience. It took quite some time to get used to how it, how it drove. And, I, I, I and really then the engine to, exploded. And then the engine exploded. Um, <laughs> which brings me back to the Supra, actually, because I, I have the pleasure of, of working quite regularly on a Supra. And it's a naturally aspirated non-turbo Supra. But it is the engine, I think, that makes the car in those. And it is the turboed engine. And even the standard engine, you can, you can bolt a turbo to it and get some quite respectable power out of the thing. Just with st- stock internals. But I think the engine is... is so the biggest feature of the car I, I do think it's quite a good looking thing by and large unless people stick ridiculous body kits on it I do think it's quite a good looking car but the Supra that came before and, and certainly the current Supra they just don't they don't really do it in the way that that did and I suspect it is probably that the Fast and Furious effect isn't it and I, I suspect that that's really responsible for the the meteoric rise of, of the, the cost of the, of the Skyline the values of the, of the Skyline the R34 which is I think a really great looking car that and the fact that it was illegal in the states and everything else you know I think it helps build a story behind it and perhaps that's a problem with the current Supra the story isn't really there apart from the fact that it borrows lots of bits from BM it wasn't their own project but if they hadn't have done it then it wouldn't have happened at all and I don't know I think that as time goes on to have these kind of cars particularly niche cars or even to be fair mainstream cars we're going to see more and more manufacturers partnering up sharing platforms, sharing drivetrains, sharing motors, batteries and so on as, as we move forward to be able to make these they've, things happen. They've been doing it for years, so why yes. Toyota got loads of stick for you know, taking a Z4 and, and plonking a Supra body on it? I, I've got no idea why they got stick for it, because nobody slagged off a Toyota Igo for being the same as a Peugeot 107 or a Citroen C1, did they? They just no. said it was a great little car and just buy it from whichever either manufacturer you like has the best deals on or is the nearest to where you live um, and and they're great little cars get on with you know a good car is a good car Agreed. it doesn't matter what the underpinnings are what the body is who made what who who did what parts of it if you like it and you like the way it looks and you like the way it drives then it doesn't matter who made all the bits does it the original Igo 107c1 apart from the fact they they leak a bit I, I think a cracking car really one of mm. one of the most rewarding cars to drive quickly, because uh, you can drive definitely. Qu- you can drive them really quickly and not be going that fast, and just really enjoy the honesty of the car. It doesn't try and be anything that it's not. So you've still got exposed metal work inside the car. The plastic is obviously cheap. It's you can still see the the mould lines on it. It's it's not a beautifully crafted piece of machinery, but it's cheap and it doesn't pretend to be anything other than a small cheap car. And it's all the better for it. Small, skinny wheels. Uh, quite. Uh, I, I even like the noise it made. I, I do really, really like these things. I think they're a cracking car. Yeah, my, my missus had an Igo, and she absolutely yeah. loved that car. She thought it was brilliant. But with an automatic gearbox, which was dreadful. The uh, Toyota yeah, cannot do an automatic box. Yeah, it was, those, it wasn't well, the best. Well, you, or whatever they're called. Yeah, once you got the hang of it, and if you put it in manual mode and backed off when you change gear and that. Um, whatever yeah. else, it, it was a little bit better, but nowhere near as good as a manual gearbox. But again, it was it was a price point. The type of gearbox it was, it made it a thousand or two thousand pounds cheaper. So you get what you pay for, but that's fine. Yeah, 
It's when you pay £35,000 for it and the engine blows up in 8,000 miles. Yes, all right, all right. But I did get to spend a 1,000 miles in our little track car, uh, which was deafening. But it was all right, because I think it was, that was when your chest wall had somehow detached itself from your lungs or something, wasn't it? So the four-point harnesses helped keep your lungs attached to your body. So it was good. I'd, I tore one of the muscles that holds my shoulder to my chest or something ridiculous. Shoulder yeah, it to was, your chest, that was it. It was really painful, unless you were strapped in with a harness and it kept everything in place. <laughs> it meant you could change gear, which was convenient. Every cloud... Off-air, we were talking about the nonsense that is driving abroad after Brexit happens, when it happens, because it's going to happen, and everyone says we're leaving Europe, although we're not leaving Europe. We're not leaving the continent, but we have left the European Union. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? We're not lifting the anchors up and sailing Britain away, are we? Bye, everyone. No. Who knows? Anywho, the truth of the matter is that nobody knows what's going to happen next and nobody knew what was going to happen next all the way along well I'm, I'm i must admit i'm thoroughly confused by the whole thing because i you know i keep following the government advice which is uh what is it check change go is it it's yes. so check mm. so check what you need to do so i've noticed so i go on the internet and uh you know the government said you know going abroad after this date check the advice right i'll go and check so you go on the internet and you tap things in and then it says all right well if, if you're driving abroad in uh after january you know Things will change. Check what you need to do. Well, that's what I'm here to do. Where do I check? I'll click here. Here's the information. Scrub to the bottom. Well, things may be different if you drive abroad, so check what you need to do. No, I'm here. I'm checking. Just tell me what I need to do. It's And, and I'll do it. That's fine, because I want to drive abroad. I've got no problems with driving abroad, and, and it comes in handy for work every now and again. But nobody will tell you what to do. No. Because I saw a sign. I think it was on a motorway gantry. or so, You know, driving abroad... Uh, Things have changed. Check the requirements. Where on the next gantry at the side? Do I pull over? <laughs> yes. There's a payphone there. Do I do I pick up the yellow phone? Tell me what I need to do. If you say I need a this, that, the other form, or I need a, a green card, or I need an international drive, just click here or go and see your post office. I'll queue up. I'll do all that. That's what. Just tell me. Tell me what I need to do. Is is like Windows and printer error messages, isn't it? You know, there was a problem with the printer. Well, what problem? Ah. Tell me what the problem is and I'll fix it. No, no, I can't tell you. I'll tell you what, actually, I've, I've got a brilliant idea because I'm thoroughly bored of, of checking and, and changing or indeed going anywhere because you can't do anything. Well, um, I can't go so anywhere. So should, uh, should, we, should we nominate Graham as he's uh, experienced technical difficulties and uh, when he's checking his phone he can, uh, he can check and report back next week. Is that right with you, Graham? Just say if you disagree. Good. Right, Graham is nominated and, uh, and agreed wholeheartedly to that, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll report back with uh, what it is you possibly maybe need to do, or actually but not quite do if you are driving abroad, unless you can avoid driving abroad, in which case don't drive abroad, uh, unless you've checked and changed and gone, but if you've already gone then it's too late. Uh, what if you go on a holiday at the end of December and you're abroad after it after it ends, what? how do you check it then? You've got to check it in Spanish or French or Dutch? You just or simply you cease to exist. That's what happens. Uh, yeah, you, you no longer point, exist. You become like I don't know. We'll take, if you're in the air when it happens, Factionless. at that point, are you a pirate? Yeah, why you not? Could be, couldn't you? Yes. You, you somehow become your own country, and you need to you need to negotiate. Form your own country, or be in the air when it happens, and declare yourself to be a pirate. So it's got to that point now where my voice has become notably croaky, which means it's probably time for us to end. Next time, we will be looking at. 
Christmas are cars of the year and some of the best presents and maybe some of the worst ones that we've received for Christmas. Who knows? So from me, Mike, it's goodbye. From me, Jim, goodbye. From me, Dave, see ya. It's been great talking to you. We look forward to seeing you next time. Bye. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.